Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. Good evening, Jim. Hi, David. I've moved my camera. My camera is now right here. Today is an awful day, which includes my wife getting into the closet behind me while we're podcasting. Yeah. Um, it happens, right? Yep. Has so it, it has to. Uh, and I don't know what she's eating, but it's probably not healthy or good for her. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, you know, COVID, take care of your health, people. Uh, anyway, so look at this. Look at this bad boy, Jim. You know what this is? Yeah. This is what happens when you play too much guitar aggressively. And you have carpal tunnel syndrome or something thereabouts. I haven't been diagnosed, but yep. it's the same symptoms. So, um, yeah, I've been wearing this guy off and on for about 24 hours now. Uh, a thing happened the other night. Um, I was watching a live broadcast in the Kemper P&W group and uh, HW, the uh, purveyor of Tone Junkie. Well, he is yep. Tone Junkie. The profiles and YouTube channel and all that whole thing. Um, he did a, he did a thing. He was showing off this train wreck he had. So obviously, you know why I was watching it. Um, he was showing off this train wreck that he had. Uh, he, he'd gotten a Liverpool to, to a model and profile and do all that happy stuff with. And, uh, in the middle of it, he mentioned a crazy promotion he'd done the night before called the wacky promotion where he gave 90% off. He, it was just wacky. He gave 90% off to nine people, 80% off to eight people, 70% off to seven people, and then on down the line. Um, to and the way and the way he had structured it was like you could buy anything in the store. Oh wow! Now he has the everything pack, which I mean I can't even tell you how many model models are. Maybe I should go go through a couple of them. Um, cause I have, I'm on my computer. I can do that. Um, I, and I had to, I actually bought another pack of the next day from him at, at an additional discount. Oh my um, God. So the everything pack has how many folders are in this? That I could just, I can be making the count from the application. 114, 114 different packs in it with like 30 profiles a piece. And I got them all. Usually they retail for 500 bucks. The everything pack does. I got it for like a whopping $50 and change. Um, And then, so what he did was he did that the night before. I didn't buy him then, but during his, during his thing, he said, I think I'm going to do something absurd tonight. And then he kept saying that. And then at the end of it, he started editing the, the graphical image that goes on his website and putting the promotions in place. And I actually purchased them before the, the promotion went live. <laughs> Because I was able to guess what the promotion code was going to be. Um, oh. Another another uh, Facebook group uh, listener, uh, Michael Newman, got in on the deal too. Except he guessed that he would get them for one hundred percent off, and so he got the everything pack, and he got another pack for one hundred percent off. Oh my god! I paid, and I actually don't feel bad about paying. Right, right. And I'm not afraid to admit this. Um. I didn't know there would be a hundred and I did feel like an idiot right off the bat, but I thought about it for a minute. I was like, you know what? 
I would rather make sure that Tone Junkie gets some money from me. Right, right. Number one. Because he's he's helped the community so much, like the Kemper community. There's so much YouTube material from him specifically that is like how to use the Kemper and how to use it the right way and all these different things about how to, you know, how to structure your rig around the Kemper and these different pieces of the whole process and program that uh, I thought, eh, I'll give him the money. Yeah. And I'm not going to feel bad about it. And uh, I reached out to him afterwards because he had mentioned that he's doing a Fillmore. And I asked him, are you releasing the Fillmore this weekend? And he is. And I have it. That was what I bought the next day. Um, with the, I think I paid 60% off or 70% off for that. Um, which was like under nine bucks. And I was gonna say, it's, when it was chump change. I mean, for getting like, and the, and the profile. So... I'm not I'm not in love with everything he does, but quite a bit of it's pretty damn great. Right. And uh, I'm really excited to announce that he's going to be on our show, uh, hopefully next week. Yeah. So it sounds like everything's set for a Wednesday recording session with him, and uh, so he'll people be, in the he'll uh, be giving us some time and. Yep. So people in the um, will we be will we be broadcasting that in the group? Uh, yeah, and it'll be in the Patreon the group, and then Patreons. it'll be on YouTube later. Mm-hmm. Um. So here's here's a question that I have for you, Jim. Huh? What do a Trainwreck Express, a Two Rock Ruby, a, a Dumble Steel String Singer, and a John Mayer Prototype PRS amp have in common? Those They're are all... four amplifiers that he has modeled, profiled, for those of you who are Kemper users. Really? Yeah, that he's actually had in his possession, either lent to him, gone to them, or otherwise in order to model them. Wow. Quite frankly, I think that's pretty cool. And, you know, he's got a lot more experience with super high-end amplifiers than you and I do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he is still not – Yeah, he got to do the Steel String Singer. He's got one right now, apparently. Um, and he's he's still yet to – uh, get an overdrive special. And I, I, he posted at the group and I went, if he's got a Dumble SSS sitting there, like, that's more rare than an overdrive special yeah. and more valuable. Yeah. From what I understand, they're more valuable. Now, those are, um, I guess those are supposed to be lap steel amps, but uh, a lot of guys who like really, really clean sounds bought them too. And Stevie Ray Vaughan was one of them. Um, So it'll be cool. I can't wait till those profiles come out too. I want to see what they're like, but um, I I gotta stop buying profiles for a while because uh, that that was way over budget. I was not expecting to spend that amount of money, um, but I did because you know it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. I probably would never be able to afford the uh, everything pack without that deal. So thank thank you HW for that. But um, so Jim, you you've been posting a lot of stuff, and I think some of it wasn't even in the group. Um, that I thought was very interesting and relevant to the show, but we've got one topic tonight that I really want to I really want to hone in on because I think it's interesting to to look at the we're in a state of flux in the in the recording industry right now, mm-hmm. um, and the and the music industry and the decisions that get made regarding things like the Digital Millennium Copyright Act and even Joe Rogan's move to Spotify could have an impact on our industry depending on how the, how things play out. Right. Um, and I think we sort of disagree on the 
Joe Rogan thing, and, and that's interesting. We're going to explore that here in a second, but um, I think it's at least pertinent to people who are listening who actually are paying attention to the recording industry to know that things have not – like we're still reeling over the fact that Apple happened, iTunes happened, Spotify happened, and all these other streaming services are starting to take hold, really Pandora and all these other things are starting to take hold. And it's and it's having an impact on music. And I think I was talking to my wife this morning, and I have I have some really interesting stuff to share towards the end of the episode. But because um, I I sort of know how I want to structure my my thoughts on this, but um, I think there's a lot to be learned here about the future. But I think there's also an opportunity for us to dial back the clock a bit. So, yeah. So let's let's roll back the clock. Talk about digital music. First of all, digital music started out in the 70s, believe it or not. A lot of people think that, you know, it started in in the 90s um, or even the early 2000s. But in reality, let's talk about the technology first. So digital music started out in the 70s. And then there was this creation of this thing that, that, that released to the world as a CD in 1982. And it was a game changer. So... You know, most people, when they think of CDs, they probably think of a little bit later, but it was 1982 when the first CD was released, or the first CD um, systems were released to the public. Now, if we roll the clock forward and go um, quite a bit fast, we come up to the 90s and we come into uh, when people started doing peer-to-peer um, um, swapping of music. Now, at first, it was relatively innocuous, and the reason for that is because most people had slow connections. You still had to be picky about what you were sharing. Um, I think there's also a knowledge gap there too. Right. I don't think because I can remember clean. Because I'm a technician, you know, computer technician by trade, and I can remember cleaning quite a few people's computers for using things like LimeWare and BearShare. Oh, good lord! Yeah, and Kazaa, Kazaa, Napster, Kazaa. Napster was obviously the uh, beginning, right? And there was a college where I lived at that time. Uh, RPI. Three kids were fined twelve thousand dollars each for sh- file sharing back in the beginning of Napster, um, and that was in Troy, New York. So, as you move forward, um, that would have been early two thousands, because I had just moved up there. So, if we if we keep rolling though, what what really broke the back? of this file sharing stuff was a couple things. There was some DRMs that were really poor. Sony with their DRM, digital right management. Um, <laughs> the way that they, and, then, and then they went way over the top after that one. <laughs> yes, they did. And what they did, I mean, um, for those who know or remember, Sony put um, protective software. You could not play the music on their CDs unless you had the software included, and therefore you had to have the CD. They did all this stuff, and it was that was one that was one of the things they did. The, the one that the one that I actually was referring to is the um, when they did the red discs. Yes. So the, so the back of the CD was red, and and that was to let you know that if you tried to rip this disc, it would disable your CD hardware permanently, and it did. Yeah. It did something where it would like toast the firmware on your on your CD-ROM drive. There were a lot um, of things, and and they were found to be illegal. And they'll listen. Oh yeah, they got part. they got a class action lawsuit against them. <laughs> so, you know, the fact is that you know there were, and there's always been two two sides of this. There's the fact that uh, at that time, at least, um, 
you wanted a backup of your Sadie's because for two reasons. One, it's not it's not practical to carry CDs around everywhere you go. We want to listen to music. And number two, and probably more importantly, if I own a copy of that song and it's in my CD library, why do I need to carry that freaking copy around with me everywhere I go? And there was no real way for them to, to tokenize a song or individual music albums, so on and so forth. So let's roll forward some more. Let's talk about spoken word stuff, right? There's always been spoken word. Believe it or not, there's been spoken word albums, um, probably the most famous of which are comedy albums like George Carlin and Richard Pryor and those guys. Spoken Never mind William Shatner. Yeah. <laughs> well, William Shatner's was supposed to be music, but we won't go into that. Um, so as we move forward, I don't know if you remember, but around 2006, this guy named Howard Stern signed an exclusivity contract with a company called Sirius XM, right? And he signed that exclusivity contract. The difference between what Rogan did and what, um, what Stern did is Stern signed with Sirius XM and Sirius XM, you had to have the player, you had to have the um, Sirius XM paid uh, Sirius he signed service. a deal for he signed a deal for cable is what he did. That's right. And, and so that, actually, Jim, Jim, even then they had a, they had an app. Yeah. Going as far back as so you could listen to it on your PC. Yeah. Going back as far back as when he signed up with them, and I think that right. was actually part of the rollout process for his podcast because they knew a lot of people were well. They knew a lot of people listeners. were doing that, and if you think about the time frame, it was the right time for when smartphones were you know rolling through and you had to have stuff. So it was a relatively intelligent move, um, but you had to have Sirius XM. You had to pay for their app, yeah. and the difference was there were no ads, right? So what what we what they've done with Rogan, I want to get past a lot of stuff because we're going to talk a little bit about some of the DRMs and some of the things that they've done to try to protect music. So here's what Sirius has said, or not Sirius, I'm sorry. Spotify has said that is going to try to recoup their money because obviously you got to recoup your cash. You're not giving Joe right. Rogan $100 million because you think he's a great guy and you think that, that people should hear his message because really nobody Thanks. Yeah. What are they? What are they selling? They're sub selling subscriptions and advertising. So they have two so. things, right? They sell subscriptions and advertising. Subscriptions, subscription based is just that, right? They're selling you twenty four hours a day, seven days a week of whatever you want to stream for whatever price you pay, right? That's a subscription. That's how it works. You don't pay more if you stream more music. You don't pay less if you stream less. You pay a flat fee. You get twenty four by seven, whatever you want to listen to. Real and realistically, you'll never listen to music or Spotify or anything 24 by seven. They know that they know that they've got a um, certain amount of, you know, plays and so on and streams and so on. And so on. I think it's just more or less to pay the advertisers that you're not listening. <laughs> that's right. And that's, that's exactly right. So you got to pay somebody because advertisers aren't getting money. So <clears throat> here's the thing that some people don't know about what they're going to do with, with Rogan. The expectation is, and this is where it, it comes from. The technology, I'm reading this from a um, the Motley Fool. Um, the technology, that's being said, um, Spotify has grand plans to modernize the podcast advertising with dynamic ad insertion um, that can leverage Spotify's users' database for more, more advanced ad targeting than is currently available in the podcast space. Ads will never bring as much money as paid subscription, but Spotify has said 
that the growing number of podcast um, catalog has bolstered um, has bolstered uh, conversion rates for free users to paid subscribers. But here's the kicker: those ads, those targets. Guess where the ad money they expect it to come from? Here's the other side of it. Uh, the revenue streams Spotify is now asking record labels and artists for money to advertise their songs within the app. So they're going to use musicians to pay ads to get their songs played to get ads. That you see how it feeds on itself. I think that's I think that's maybe a bit misleading. Um, I don't know exactly what that process looks like right now. But what they're saying is ads. So like if I want to – if my album, Ramblings of a Madman, which is on Spotify right now, if I want to get it higher plays, obviously I want to get it in front of more people than I could purchase advertising. Right. But if you don't care, if you're like me, just leave it out there. People right. want it, they go find it. Right. No, no, no. I'm not saying that that is or isn't. What um, the expectation though is that because Rogan is three hours long. This is the, this is the thing that I don't know if you could really say. Because I don't know if these analytics exist, okay? And that is that Joe Rogan, uh, it would be smart to buy ads on Joe Rogan for music of X type. Let's just say heavy metal. Let's just say heavy metal. It would be uh, death metal. It would be smart to buy death metal um, or ad time for a death metal artist expecting to get more listens on Joe Rogan's podcast because Joe Rogan's listenership is death metal fans. So they have those numbers. Have we Yeah, but the the majority of their advertisers are not labels. I mean, we're talking like Clorox. I that's I, one of the ads I hear on Patreon all or not Patreon, but uh Spotify all the time is uh Clorox bleach. That's right. Clorox and then, wipes. And so let's go to the other side of this coin, because that's where it's gonna get dangerous. YouTube had it was the great unknown, right? And it didn't matter what your your stuff was advertisers were thrown in there. Yep, I'm I'm Procter Gamble. Got some ad time. I want to buy some ad ads. Put it in, um, and I don't care. And YouTube decided pretty randomly, actually, actually, where to put these things. Right. Well, then companies were being told by their, you know, when when the letter writing campaigns come in, hey, this guy uses the f word, and he's, um. And your ads are on their thing. Why are you supporting this guy using the F word? So then the, the ad companies went and said, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Because what Spotify said, this is what somebody said um, back to me. They said, oh, no, they're giving Joe Rogan. He's going to have carte blanche. He'll say anything he wants to say. Sure, in the ad free, or I mean, in the paid subscription space, he may well. But once you throw an ad in there, you have created the ability to censor. That is, I don't know. That it is depends there. on... It depends on how the sponsorship is structured. So like for on Facebook, when I when I pay for a sponsorship for our show, I don't get to select where my sponsorship shows up. There is no indication that I will be on a content, you know, a content friendly area. Right. Um, they decide that for me. And that I guess the expectation is from a digital in a digital world that where you're advertising whether it's attached let's say it's attached to one of the like the the uh, escort groups where you can meet escorts um 
which they do exist. Oh yeah, you know, of course. It, of course they exist, right? Like Rule Forty Three and all that. But um, yep. uh, Rule Thirty Four, I think it's Thirty Four. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, they exist, and the whole point is that, like, if our ad showed up there, over there, I would never know it, and the people that are visiting that aren't going to tell me where they right. found our ad at. And I don't really care. And it doesn't – and because people know that that's but, how the internet works, they don't like immediately associate the Practical Guitarist podcast with that group. That, we didn't select that place. That's the, that's the you know mindset there, I guess. While that's true, the real ad money is in the big companies. Sure. I mean, I'm just saying – Whether it's uh, Kellogg's, Procter & Gamble or – you know, uh, I could Adam. see a day when Spotify finally says – to hell with advertising. I mean, I I can see that coming. A uh, hundred million dollars for one exclusivity deal, where they capitalized what the next day. I think they they brought in an additional five billion from stock and and <laughs> proceeds from investments. I mean, yes, that's obviously a speculator's thing, but that's how the stock market works. And yeah, but. But the fact is that the stock didn't go as fast or as high as they were hoping. Well, it's back and to where are it there, was. Are they publicly ago. traded yet? I don't even know if they've yeah. done an, an IPO. Okay, it's so they have done an IPO. And um, it was 110 to 130 dollars for two years. But before that, it was at that 192 mark. It just got back to that 192 mark. So there's a, there's speculation, certainly concerns over. Um, it was actually down on Friday, but the amount that it was down, you can't really. Here's yeah, the I mean, thing. I'm not an expert in that either, but I'm just, yeah. you know, inferring some things from that. Here's the thing that uh, Joe Rogan. I, I'm a Joe Rogan listener. I've been listening for Joe, to Joe Rogan for years, um, and Joe Rogan. The reason that I listen to him, and I think a lot of, and I can't speak for anyone else, but I will say that the people I know who share my views. Um, the reason we listen to Joe Rogan is because he's punk rock. Doesn't care. Doesn't care what side you're on. Doesn't care who you are. In other words, he's going to bring in one one week. It might be a highly regarded Democrat. The next week, it might be a scientist. The next week, it might be a comedian or the next day, I should say. And he's and he often records two a day because he puts two and three hours into a single episode. That's what I love. You hear everything and you don't hear it caught up. and You don't hear it chopped up. And um, what he what he brings in um are every kind of point of view which is why i like to listen to them um we have had a dangerous space you know where where a lot of this stuff is is killed my point is this and we're gonna the drm one the reason i listen i i shared that because this li literally can go right into that uh but i won't i won't um spoil that yet but the fact is that Joe Rogan is so out there and has been so um, important to people for certain messages. What this guy that Marco Armand, I sent you his thing, and I won't read the whole quote, but he said, blank Spotify and blank any podcast that's playable in only one app. And that's really, for me, that's what it is. It's you, you suddenly signed a deal with the devil because whether you like to say it or not, whether you say that they're they're pulling your strings or not, for a hundred million dollars, it's not guaranteed, and that's the only way you're going to get there. You're going to 
I have no faith in humanity to say that someone isn't willing to sell their soul for 100 million bucks. None. Well, my understanding, when we were talking about this before the show, he didn't actually, re he's not actually receiving 100 million for that. No, he it's, could. It's, it, yeah, he can receive up to 100 million based on the amount of listens, and he's projected right. to make, there's something saying something like 6 million an episode or something. Yeah. Um, but the thing is that, that, He's never been on Spotify before. We've been on spot. We've been listened to on Spotify more than he has. That's what's funny. So, and I'm not saying that this is. No, there's there's an assumption. Pretty sure he's on there. He's just not. No, he's. It's September one. I I I already read that. He is not on Spotify. Ergo, so he doesn't have his episodes right. there at all. So September one will be the first day. Um, JRE, which is a which has never been available on Spotify thus far will deb debut on the service on September 1 before becoming completely exclusive in late 2020. That means that he's going to debut in September. He'll be he'll be exclusive, obviously, by the end of the year. That's expectation. And they're expecting that everybody that listens to him already on YouTube is just going to suddenly go, okay, I'll listen to him on Spotify. And while I know there will be less people than are like me when it comes to I'm not putting another freaking app on my phone to listen to Joe Rogan. Come on, just are they going to listen to are other they people? Here's the problem I have. So, Jim, you and I both know this already, but the audience on YouTube is far greater than the audience for a podcast. And I have to imagine that Spotify now has to get a video streaming thing going so that they can deploy Joe Rogan's podcast to the yep. 6 million plus listeners. That's right. Because once um, you take away that video side of it, what if you what if he's going to drop through the floor? His ratings are going to collapse, right? So I mean that has to be as part of the deal. Like he's already had that conversation. It's probably somewhere in that contract. But I, I that's where this becomes a gigantic loss for Spotify, in my opinion, because they have to build a data center. This is not something I think they're going to be they're going to be farming out of Amazon Web Services for six million people. That doesn't sound like like a really reasonable scenario for a high high available delivery I can, system. I will ask my friend at, at AWS. It's a possibility. I mean, they do yeah. they do some pretty high traffic stuff. Oh, but yeah. even then, I'm just saying they're going to be paying. Out. They're going to be paying thousands of dollars a month. For, for I mean, tens oh. of thousands of dollars <laughs> a month, or hundreds of thousands for for the for the bandwidth. Yeah. So, I just look at the situation. I go, you know, of that hundred million, that's a break even. For you know, depending on who's who's stomaching that cost, um, and it's it, 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 they have to really attract some incredible sponsorship. Here's the problem: this is this is what what boggles my mind about this whole pro, uh, this whole idea. The ads that are on YouTube on his content now are not from the you know super sophisticated will pay like television sort of revenue you know ad ad uh prices for a podcast okay they're your typical youtube ads and that's why i'm kind of like huh wait what because where's how is spotify going to negotiate these massive contracts when they have no they have no like real frame of reference for his listenership carrying over the fact that he was already not advertising major companies over there like this could be yeah. this could be a titanic disaster his, for them. This could cause Spotify to fold. His show is not ad friendly. He no. often gets demonetized. Um, 
they they uh YouTube comes after him, tries to censor him, and he just Yeah, no. He doesn't do it. That's the reason that's he's that's why he's punk rock to a lot of people. And um well, here's another here's so, another interesting uh factoid. Twenty five percent of listeners, listenership, whether you're listening to YouTube, Spotify, Apple Media, whatever, they there is an estimation, this is in the analytics, it's approximately twenty five percent of listens are spoken word. Okay. On on Spotify, they're saying twenty five percent. No, overall, over, over everything. See, okay. that's just it. Spotify may not fall into that twenty five percent. That's where. Well, and that's yeah. Okay, so that's that's the big gray area I have. Yeah. So, the video you posted, and this is why I really took issue, and I thought this was a good conversation for the show because they're alleging that Joe Rogan coming to Spotify is going to take away the ability for musicians to get their music listened to because people only have a certain amount of hours in the day and they're going to spend three hours listening to Joe Rogan's podcast. I can tell you right now, verbatim, without batting an eye, this will not affect the music industry in that way. No. Because when I listen to a podcast, I listen to a podcast. When I listen to music, I listen to music. Those are two separate activities. Right. The fact that they're both audio recordings is incidental. That's right. And that's where, like I said, there's um, what is what is it called? Audiobooks. I should I have it. I should know, but um, so Kindle, those things they all take up our time. You only have so much ability to input through the ear, right? I mean, that's exactly what I what I would say to you. But I don't think I don't think it's stealing from the music industry because, again, just like you said, there's no way that the the music um listener is also a podcast listener at least not at the same time and that's that's what so so the allegation the other allegation that he made that was interesting with he talked about when spotify a few years ago um went around and tried to get label i don't know if it was a label exclusivity or artist exclusivity um from specific people yep and basically it fell flat on its face Mostly because Spotify didn't have the capital to make it happen, at least in this guy's mind. Um, I I take great issue with that. I sort of understand um, that there are definitely some independent artists, like somebody like Radiohead might do it. You know what I mean? Like that would make that kind of makes sense for them because it gives them a distribution platform that's outside of the normal channels of the music industry. Right. Um. But so a couple things there. Number one, the reason why Tidal exists is because. Title was supposed to be the artist-focused music streaming service. The idea was that the artists would have a say in it. They would get the, their lion's share of the profits. They would be able to set their own pricing. They wouldn't have to deal with all the BS of a, of a management company like Spotify on the back end. Right. It was basically they're rating their profits. Um, instead, you have uh, you have whoever is behind them rating your profits, but I, at a lower rate. Okay, um, that's basically the way I look at that that situation. Um, I don't think any of these platforms is punk rock. I don't think YouTube is punk rock. I don't think any of that. The second Joe Rogan hosted Fear Factor, he stopped being punk rock. If you think for a moment that that guy has not been making money this whole time on the side, doing whatever he's got to do and capitalizing on his fame and success, you're wrong. He could say whatever he wants. He's a Jesse Ventura. Jesse Ventura can do the whole same thing because he's got money. He can say whatever he wants, 
doesn't mean he actually has to believe it. He's just generating controversy for controversy's sake in some cases. Well, now, of course, I like Joe Rogan, so I'm not going to I'm not going to go down that path and say he's full of crap or anything. Yeah. But the reality I wanna, is. Yeah, I don't want to take up a bunch of time, um, you know, defending or or um, not the podcast because he allows his guests to have X number of hours and they get a platform, whether he agrees with it or doesn't. Some of them, you, but she often doesn't. I mean, that's... yeah, sometimes he just sits there and goes, oh, my God, I can't believe this person came on my show and actually said that freaking crazy, sh you know, like the guy he had on there that that believes in aliens, all this other stuff. But let's let's talk a minute about the other thing that happened. It's very important. And that was the the digital um, uh, thing. The, the... Well, I wasn't done with the uh, let me let me have another minute to, to go back to Spotify and the exclusivity agreements with artists. All right. Because I... so this is why I think this is bunk. This is why I will put. I will put pins in the pin cushion on that and hopefully stick a fork in it. Um, right. The whole idea that the record labels. So when you're an artist, like um, at the level of somebody like an Ed Sheeran, well, you said Sheeran cause he's pretty, he's pretty docile. He's not going to, he's not going to come and beat us up or anything. Um, let's say Ed Sheeran gets, gets proposed an exclusivity agreement from Spotify. Wait a minute. I think okay. Ed Sheeran's at my door. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think you can take him, Jim. Um <laughs> Anyway, uh, he, 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 you might have to get a lawyer. I mean, I heard he's, I heard he's got a lot of lawsuits right now. Um, I know. Anyway, uh, Ed Sheeran gets, gets yeah, a deal from, gets a deal from Spotify. Yep. And they're, they're like, we want to pay you, we're going to pay you 10 million, right? To make your music exclusive on our service. Now, Ed Sheeran himself, the artist might look at that deal and say, you know what? This isn't a big deal. But the reality is this. Ed Sheeran doesn't own everything about him. He right. maybe he might own his likeness. He might own um because like Frank Zappa owned his likeness, right? He might own his likeness. Does he own his own masters? Does he own the distribution rights to his music? Because he probably doesn't own the distribution rights to his music. And that's where this becomes an issue. Mm -hmm. The label owns the distribution rights. Now, in many cases, the labels, like when Jim and I were having this conversation about publicly traded versus privately tra privately tra traded labels, right? Um in many cases, the label may be publicly owned, but it's owned usually as a subsidiary by a major recording company like Capitol Records or somebody like that, right? Um, in which case, is Capitol even around anymore? I mean, maybe I'm picking on somebody that doesn't exist anymore, and that's fine. Um, but the whole idea that uh, that these companies are going to surrender their exclusive distribution rights for a, a quick buck to somebody like Spotify is ludicrous at this point. It is absolutely ludicrous. And I'll tell you why. Because they tried that at the end of the, the at the end of the CD age. They were doing yeah. exclusivity deals all over the place. Do you remember the yeah. last ACDC record being exclusively distributed at Walmart? Walmart. Do you remember Chinese democracy being exclusively distributed at Best Buy? Like yeah. that stuff was like the setting sun of that. Because yeah. they realized that was not a way to do business. That was going to yeah. get them destroyed. Well, it they uh let's see AC did it, ACDC did it, Kiss did it, and Garth Brooks did it. That was three of the Walmart ones. Yeah, somebody did it with uh, Sears before Sears stopped doing records a long time ago. There was Kmart um, way back it's, in the day. They had exclusivity. It never worked. It's That's not why a I don't understand this business it's model. Just, it's just not. never. It's never stood up. It's never stood the stand. stand the hands of time are the same. Uh, I don't. I don't know what Spotify's. Time. I don't know what Spotify's market share is, but I can't believe they're over fifty percent. I. Can't. I could see them right at fifty percent, but I. But with Apple being the other fifty percent, basically, 
Um, but I can't imagine them being beyond 50% at this point. Come on, for, di- for digital distribution. That. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like they, I could see them all taking at worst case scenario, they're all taking a third. But right. I can't imagine Pandora's even. They're probably at ten percent at this point. Now, I think that what they're trying to do, because Apple has already had with podcasts being the other side of things, has already had their, their, they're already waist deep, neck deep, in the spoken word stuff of podcasts. So they created YouTube, it. YouTube, yeah, and YouTube has been right there behind them. So mm-hmm. the fact is, I just don't know if people who have Spotify give two shits about Joe Rogan. That's that's the thing I don't understand. Well, we'll wait and see. It'll be an interesting. It'll be an interesting thing to look at. And that's why I said, like this is that we're watching the forging of a new model because I, a lot of people are insinuating, well, because Joe Rogan got a hundred million, they're going to have enough capital to go back and start negotiating with the with the labels for exclusive distribution rights. And if you're a label right now, you really don't want to do that because if like let's say let's say they make a real deal, right? Like so they went to. Uh, Ed Sheeran's label, who also had, and I'm just going to make this up, but it also happens to have Taylor Swift and Cher and a bunch of other artists on it, right? And they say, we want all of your artists exclusive for $100 million or right. or, or $200 million. You know, hmm. here's the reality. They don't want to do that either because that devalues their product. That means they've right. set a market price for what the digital distribution rights for those artists are. Right. And, they don't, and they don't want to do that. That is a right. bad idea. Yep. Um, that's like being a diamond salesman and then selling all your diamonds. Yep. You've got no product to sell. So then right. what are you going to do? Um, you still got to You still got to get them. Right. You know, and, and just be a reseller. You become a reseller of a product. Is what you right. Become. In which, in which case, why does the, why does the, they basically right. made the, their existence no longer necessary. Exactly. And, and the, the other suggestion was that they would buy the labels. Well, again, you'd have to pry those from the cold, dead hands of the recording companies, and the ones that are owned by artists are going to even be more difficult to get because those are not publicly traded, and those people will not take a hostile takeover because they want that money for themselves. So, Therefore, I don't think that's a realistic proposition. You might see some of it, but I don't think you're going to see like a massive trend towards exclusive distribu- you know, distributorship for, the, for everybody. And the other component of this is, remember – those people are only a section of the market. There's millions of music or like musical artists that release records every year. Maybe yep. only you only hear about 1% of them. But the reality is the real industry is going on at the grassroots level, which we will come back to at the end of the episode where we talk about how the future could um how we could how we could change things, how we could look to the past for for like a way forward because it's pretty clear we're in gridlock right now. We're okay, still so having they- these conversations. Right. 15 years after Napster. That's right. So, so the whole, um, uh, what is it? The distribute, uh, distributed music, something, um, the digital millennium copyright act. That's it. Right. Digital millennium copyright act. All right. So one of the things that's very important with that, um, the whole reason that people say like subscribe, you know, don't forget to like my video, put a comment, you know, blah, blah, blah is because they want to feed oh. the algorithm. All right. Yeah, <laughs> looks like you've got something delicious in there. You got to feed the algorithm. Cold coffee. Yeah. Oh, I hate cold coffee. I got cold coffee and water. I got water right next to it. So I don't even. I don't even like Hydra- cold. I two fist water and hydration. You know, hydration and coffee. So like, I don't. You know. I don't yeah, even I like don't cold coffee. That's <laughs> purposely cold coffee. So yeah, it's um, gross. So one of the things to think about, and this is again, this is just a 
the thing that I shared is is uh, only part one of a congressional um, uh, investigation they've done to possibly change the laws. This is the thing that this is the scary part that could come of this. All right, it's good and it's scary. Okay, so the big heavy-handed channels that have had power this whole time that get automatically suggested to you. If what that comes up, there will be no more automated suggestions. You will have to go find your own content again, because what's happened is um, the one of the one of the uh, safe harbors that YouTube was using was that it didn't, you know, it, it had uh, rule sets that suggested based on your listening. But now that that listening thing, you ever notice that now YouTube doesn't matter how many times you listen to a certain channel, it always suggests some channel that's bigger just because they want you to watch that one. Well, now um, the log the the algorithm is not um, uh, human enough. So automated um, algorithms will have to be removed to be able to they can still put, put advertising. And that's why I, I I mentioned the advertising of of uh, musicians in in Rogan, as it kind of comes towards this. You would have to get advertising, and you would have to find your own ways of getting the advertising. Now I don't see anything wrong with that, except that it will be harder for a grassroots campaign um, to push its way up. But they've made it harder for um, in recent. Time. It's this not going to happen been... anymore anyway. They 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 basically want to have control over the market there. There there's some That's just it. The reason that that they were given safe harbor was because in the beginning YouTube was supposed to be you had a website, right? But you wanted videos. Remember embedding a YouTube video in your website and then that left and it just went to YouTube. And then well, you YouTube's... can still embed. Oh no, you can. That's not gone. I'm just saying that that was the the original. Oh right, that most concept. people were were putting this stuff on their own website right. with embedded stuff and sharing that, you know, it. Really, you know why that was, Jim? Was because you couldn't get advertising revenue back then. There right. was no ad share. That right. didn't happen until way later. Yeah. So you would put it on your website guy. with your own ads on it, and therefore, then you would be able to. That's right. Some revenue. And so they were a safe harbor because what they were considered was just like if you have a. Um, uh, an online website where you um, uh, you then have a uh, uh, a disk, you know, a, a, a cloud cloud storage. They were considered like a cloud storage, and they were able to to go into that safe harbor that is cloud storage. People go, we're not we're not a um we're not getting ads. We're not a business. We're just this little thing that's. And then Google bought them, and they started doing all the other stuff, and it was ad ad sharing. And now the guy from Chocolate Rain should have made billions of dollars, <laughs> but, um, or millions of dollars at least. But anyway, it, the the point that I'm making is because they is that um, they will they may have to change. It hasn't been. I'm not saying it will happen. I'm not saying it has happened. Saying that there is a look at okay, YouTube, you're no longer just a video um, uh, saving platform. You are a you are a place that is a business run by the fact that you're getting content. And this is the problem. So um, they want to slap people around a little bit more. Those those things that uh, folks like um, Beato and uh, those folks that, that say, oh, well, I got I just got a video takedown for this. 
that it's going to get even worse, not better, worse, a lot worse. Um, so it, I think I think you might be right. I think it's still a toss up. Watch the like, watch oh, the I, whole thing and listen and and read the um, yeah read the paragraphs that they had in there. So here's the deal: the paperwork that the guy's showing in the YouTube video you shared that is from the U.S. Copyright Office. Okay, a couple of things you need to know about this about the uh, the paperwork that's drawn up there. That investigation started late last year. Um, it was not. So it wasn't prompted by like complaints because everybody thinks, oh, it's prompted by complaints and that kind of thing. That's not what was going on. So they've been investigating the validity of DMCA, and this is not Congress. This is them on their own. They took it to Congress. That's the difference. Right, right. Okay, because they want Congress to take action. Now, here's the issue. YouTube right now is one of the most popular, not just popular, but like populated pop platforms on the internet. So in order for them to justifiably disrupt youtube they have to be willing to say to the american people we're going to take a because because th this is the way i read this so if you were to go to youtube right now and say all copyrighted material needs to be removed which is basically that under under current dmca that's kind of what they have to do if you were to go to youtube right now and say that that means that pro I would say probably 80% of the material on YouTube has some sort of copyright infringement flag that would probably have to be pulled down, okay, or at least reviewed. If you were to do that, I have a feeling the American people would be so pissed off at the amount of content that, that the government just decided to strike from the record that people would not be getting reelected over it. I mean, we're get we're living in a society right now, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, when uh, – when the the Iraq War started, um, the Second Iraq War, um, we were talking about the vloggers, that all of that stuff was being vlogged, and that the vloggers, you know, influenced the next two elections after that, and or, and and the bloggers that you know both video video logging and just regular blogging, um, and I think we're living in the in the video like the video content era right now, where. So much of this crap that I've been seeing, like about coronavirus and COVID nineteen, are YouTube videos that are being shared on on uh, you know basically whatever social media. Um, that I really don't think they can do that. I think I think if they do that, that's political suicide. I think it's far more likely that they're going to reevaluate the DMCA and maybe modify it to make an exception or an exclusion limitation for that. And I think that part of that would be them specifying a, the specific terms, just like they do for music publishing rights and things like that, specifying the explicit terms for how YouTube has to comply with and other stream, video streaming services like Vimeo have to comply with basically copyright law. So what that I think actually means for the consumer in the – I hope – I mean obviously this is a toss-up. Um, I hope that this means that that they do this and that they go back to YouTube and they say, okay, you know those guys that are just put, throwing up copyright claims? You need to actually investigate who they are before you can allow them to take that money in because you don't know that they're the sole owner of that property. You need to have actual human review over these claims, which they don't now, um, and you need to have human review over the appeals to those claims. 
And on top of that, you're probably actually going to have to allow people to use the real laws on that stuff. Instead of saying, oh, this person was humming this song for three seconds, that they were obviously committing copyright infringement, because that's not copyright infringement. It's not. Three seconds of a song is not copyright infringement. It's also transformative. But anyway. Yeah, um, I mean, that's they, that's basically like, that's that's the, in a nutshell. But we know YouTube is violating those rules right and left to protect their own butt. Because they, they know that at some point the, DCA, the DMCA people are going to come knocking, you know. And I and I can see that. <laughs> I can see the DMCA getting that change. I would I would applaud that, but I can also see another change in YouTube. YouTube has been free for a long time for content, especially for large content, um, folks. I think that's going to change because the protection for those kinds has. of things. What's it already that? has. YouTube Red, it already has. They are no, 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 buying content oh, now. I, I pay. It's called premium, by the way. They don't well, call it Red I know, but that's what I'm saying. What, called... but, but YouTube Red was originally not just ad-free, Jim. The whole idea was that they were going to buy the content creators to come under their platform and create content for their platform. And it's been largely unsuccessful, which is why I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, some of the has. I'm talking about the fact that any content will have to have like you said, there will have to be lawyers, reviewers, content. Look, there's a lot of it. There's a they, lot of it. I I really do believe that they won't need as many people as people think they do. I think you could do the first round with AI. I think the appeals process has to be manually handled. I think the vast majority of people uploading content to YouTube are not trying to break the rules. <laughs> and when they do, like we have done, they just say, yep, you're right. Go away. I'm not worried about and 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 somebody like Rick Beato, I'm I'm sorry, but like he falls under educational use, and so for that for the in that case, like you can't really do anything to him. That's YouTube just being YouTube at that point. That's educational use, you know. Yep. I, but uh, let's even I I don't even care about the the specifics. I don't get the weeds of who it is or what they're doing. What I'm trying to say is any. Of these creators right now they don't dare take on um anyone because they know that one strike two strikes you're out third strike so youtube bans your channel takes it down and you lose all your listenership so it's funny fact, because i know people who have done it more than three times in a, in a going back and arguing with them and still have no, a no. channel and still have their you can do it three times on three different videos can't do it three times on one video third time is the one that'll take that'll be um, issued your takedown. That I still don't know of anybody that's actually gone through that process and been taken down, yeah. which is why I'm kind of like, eh. But again, maybe that's because the bigger channels really don't care if they're monetized anyway. My wife and I were having a discussion. So um, you talk about Markiplier, for example, like who's a pretty big YouTuber or somebody like PewDiePie. They don't really care about the YouTube bucks because they are they're monetized in other ways. Like they've diversified enough. Like Markiplier has a clothing line, um, merchandise sales. He's done live tours, um, things like that. The the exclusivity advertising deals for the video games they play on their channels are unbelievably large. People don't realize how much these guys are getting paid to paid to play a game. Like for example, hundred two hundred thousand dollars to play a game for like five hours. Like it's just crazy. Um, and if, and if you think about that, it's like, do you, do you really care that you're getting, 
you know, $10,000 a month from your views last month. Like, it's peanuts at that point. I'd rather have the exclusivity deal. I want to play the new Doom game for, for a million dollars. Like, yeah. that's, and that's one of the numbers I heard was being thrown around was a million dollars to play Doom. Yeah, I'd play Doom 2. Like, <laughs> no problem. <laughs> yeah, I'd play Doom 2. Doom yeah, 1, I, Doom 2. Yeah, I'll Doom play three. all of them. I, I'll oh. play the whole series for a million bucks. Like, hell, I'll give you the value package. Yeah. <laughs> um, I did, it's, it, that stuff is like mind boggling to me. And, and it's funny because the really successful YouTubers were there before monetization. So they knew like before monetization happened, they were already filthy rich because they had figured out how to use YouTube as an advertising platform for what they were already doing and how to, how to make money off YouTube without having advertiser sponsorship money. I think the more likely scenario than them going monetized and like you have to pay a subscription fee I, I across the board for like the high end content. I think the more, the more likely thing would be that they, they kick the advertisers out. I, Okay. Well, I wasn't saying paying for views. I'm saying paying for people to put their content up there. There will be paid tiers of content distribution. That's what I'm saying. You're talking about like a subscription model for being able to watch the content on YouTube. From no, to Aria. provide content. Oh, they're going to start paying content. Uh, content providers are already doing that. That's what YouTube Red was supposed no, to no. be. No, no. Content providers will start having to pay to protect the. In other words, they'll have fee. She, they'll have just like oh. any other thing like that, where they'll say, "Okay, yeah, we'll we'll I be your." Cable I see company. what you're. I see what you're saying, but honestly, like, I could see certain people doing that, but in reality, I think the 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 violation of fair use would be like if you were to do that, you're obviously commoditizing people's ability to have rights. And that's a problem. No, no, no. All right. You want to distribute your stuff. You want to be on there, right? And hey, yeah, sure. We'll we'll stream your videos. Where are you going to put them? Well, I was hoping to be able to put them on your servers, like I've always done. No, no, that's not free anymore. We've got a we've got a limit. Or, um, yeah, we'll protect you. We'll, who's your lawyer? We'll get a hold of your lawyer. Uh, I don't have one. Okay. Well, we have lawyers. If you want to pay us. That's what I'm saying. Rights. That then you've commoditized rights. Well, if sorry. you're commoditizing the storage, that's one thing. If you're commoditizing your protection, your legal protections under their service, there's there's nothing that says you can't use your own lawyers. That's no, what I'm saying. That but that's the problem. Then you have to have a lawyer to use their service. That that's never gonna that's never gonna pan out for them. It's not gonna it, work because. That's you will right. never have an you influx don't... of grassroots support on the on the opera like so. How are you going to get new content creators? Because they're not going to come up from the bottom. Nobody's going to pay a lawyer to put their shit on YouTube. I'd rather then, host it myself. Then you don't have a lawyer. You're just it's just you're a small business that doesn't have a lawyer on on that that's out there all, already too. See what I'm saying? They're just they're just allowing you to have a tier where you could. Do, I'm just saying I'm looking down way down the road. No, I mean, I I get it. I I still think the onus is on YouTube to provide the copyright protection for themselves. To ask you to provide that protection for that, because that's what that's about. That's not about providing copy protection for you or copyright protection from you. That is about protecting them, and that's what people have to understand about that whole situation. 
the reason why they want to keep people from doing that crap is because the DMCA is going and, and the copyright agency is going to come down on them for the fact that they are allowing copy left material to exist on their on their well, not copy left but violations to to occur on their on their streaming service. So if you were to say, hey, content provider, you are now responsible for protecting YouTube from their legal obligations, that doesn't That's... really make a whole lot of sense. I see That's like it. asking me to protect the state from I see legal more, claims because I live here. Yeah, but I see it more like okay, the minute the minute that you are paid by YouTube, you become an employee. Ten ninety nine, and that's not technically an employee. No, you're a contractor. But let's let's ask uh, um, uh, guys like. Uh, Trey Parker, Matt Stone, if they're contractor employees of of uh, uh, Comedy Central, right? Well, in their so, case, they would be the producers of the show, so they would be an employee of the show and maybe right. whatever production companies behind it. That's a lot more complicated a, a conversation, I think. I, than... I, yeah, I know. I'm just saying that there are – I can see changes to YouTube coming. It has to come. Has yeah, to... I just don't know whether they're going to be – I just don't know whether they're going to be changes for the for the – Right or the wrong. That's what I'm trying to say here. Oh like, yeah, yeah. I, I I I totally understand where you're coming from and the idea that YouTube is going to have to recoup this money somewhere. Yep. But the reality is this: YouTube makes a lot more money than it's paying out to people. A oh, lot sure. more. I'm sure. YouTube is they're not. YouTube they're is not the in cash, it for the goodness of it. <laughs> YouTube is the cash cow that Google is using to pay for everything else right now. Oh, yeah. Which is the crazy thing. Like, okay, so yeah, obviously Google makes money in other places, but a lot of this crazy, stupid development work that for, goes on. They got to pay is, for Fitbit. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> all of this crazy, stupid development that's going on behind the scenes over there is being done largely with money funded by projects like YouTube, which were not things they built. They were things that they bought that were already successful, which is pretty staggering when you think about it. Yeah. When you think about, okay, so YouTube started as a video. Uh, about a, I can't remember a, a person at the zoo. That I don't remember if it was the, uh, the, but that was the first video on YouTube, and that was that guy that said, "Okay, I'm going to create YouTube," and he and his friends that created YouTube did their thing, um, and there, then you had, you know, you had your um, Numa Numa guy, you had Chocolate Rain, you had the, you know, yeah, and, the comedy videos, many of which yeah. were not uploaded by the original people anyway. <laughs> right. Right. Um, you know, the Daniel Tosh fodder and, mm -hmm. um, especially in the early Daniel Tosh. And then what was it? 2009, 2010, um, Google came in and said, Hey, we want this. I remember that. And I panicked when that happened because I was like, when Google buys it, when, when you know, they kind of, the rumblings were going on behind the scenes that both Google and Microsoft were competing to purchase YouTube. Um, when that whole conversation was going on, I, I kind of panicked because I was like, this is a really important platform going forward for music. <laughs> And I could see them making a mess of it. Yep. And they have, in some yeah. ways, made a mess of it. But they've they also done a really good job of filling out the platform and making the platform a lot more usable. I just feel like they have really mismanaged a lot of the, um, I would say, the A&R, like, to use the music term, A&R side of their service. For sure. And they really need to get back to the fact that their their core commodity it's not that they they provide video storage. It is that they have a wealth of content creators. 
That's right. That is and, what they sell to advertisers. And the and the fact is, you talked you talked about earlier the game community, game community, um, music community. They pretty much ignore us, both of us. And and it's funny because the game community, they had a, a meeting with uh, uh, the YouTube's CEO last year, and they asked her straight up, Are, "You're kind of ignoring us. You don't even we bring up we bring in a lot of money." People, that's what people watch. The, the bulk of kids that are watching YouTube are watching other kids play games. I mean, yeah, let's face which it, is absolutely do. staggeringly insane to me. But yeah, it's insane to me too. But I, I, I see it. I see my mm -hmm. kids are. Uh, one of my kids has a stream cat, a Twitter thing, and that's what we, he does. Or not? We stream on Twitter, Twitch but, uh, occasionally. My my Twitch wife and, and I. I mean, yeah, and he does the YouTube thing, and he makes money on it. But the but the thing is that when you when you take this stuff and you go, all right, well, here's these streamers, you know, uh, making millions and millions of views, I mean, millions. Um, and uh, YouTube just goes, yeah, okay. I mean, who are whose butts are they kissing? CNNs, ABCs, and MSNBCs, the the people with the big money who are now, excuse me, who are now trying to shove that stuff down your throat. And I don't even know why I get that stuff in my feed because I could care less if ABC exists tomorrow. It's a it's a dinosaur that should have died a long time ago. CNN would never have gotten foothold if it hadn't been for a war that I fought. I was there on the ground, okay? And um, to see CNN become this freaking platform of, of that, don't even get me started. Where they weren't um, even there. <laughs> when they, yeah I, I mean come on it just I, I can't stand the uh the egos and the and the audacity that these people have to say how they bring you you know the news i mean i'll find my news you just keep doing your thing i'll find the news because i don't need i don't need words twisted and and eight second sound bites <clears throat> because that's not what the war was. It wasn't eight set sound bites of some English guy sitting in a bunker miles back behind enemy lines. With going, the blue screen behind him. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I hear the the sounds of gunfire behind me. It's it's terrible. The explosions that are going on behind me. Hold on, I must my tea. Yeah. Get, get out of here. I mean, I'm just saying. It 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 just irks me. But so, anyway, we have destroyed tonight's podcast. No, we're not done yet. We got we got uh, we got more to talk about. Um right. so I'm gonna try to get us out of here in the next thirty minutes. I think right. I think we can I think we can cap this up. So we what I want to talk about all of these different things that we're talking about, which regard around, you know, content creation, all this, like music is a form of content. So obviously, like we're watching the world around us change daily. Jim, you you have been I mean, you've been watching this basically since birth, like the change of the industry, which is essentially like going from regional bands and maybe some national artists all the way up to only national artists that can make money at it, um, where the recording industry was paying advances to keep them afloat, now to where the artist has to be like basically their own property, handling their management, their distribution, their all those different things, and, and on anything less than, than like an international level. Yep. And now we're we're reaching this point where we're kind of like making the swing back, where creator 
based content is starting to take over again and where we actually do have some of the power to go out and throw a fit and say, right. you know what? You like this stuff? You want it? Fine. Then support us. Right. Um, I think we could be on the cusp of something really big about to happen where we go back to actually having regional music. And by that, I mean, um, so like right now, let me, let me, let me give you this model. So during the days in the blues and, and jazz were in their heyday, you had like the Kansas city scene, you had the Chicago scene, you had the Mississippi Delta scene, which was like all over the South, like basically Southern music in general. You had like New York jazz, you had LA jazz, all these different things that were going on in different places that were not aware of one another. Like right. unless there were certain circumstances, they might be aware of one another. But in general, like Les Paul probably wasn't listening to recordings when he was in New York from people from L.A. Unless somebody handed it to him and said, hey, I got this when I was in L.A. Um, and obviously Les Paul eventually did move out to California. Um, but that was a whole other like that's it's that's the difference in time, right? Like there's no dis there's no worldwide distribution. And as social media, like I, I just was examining my social media the other day. Obviously, like my Facebook account, I have a lot of people that I've had. I've got friends of, who are friends of the show um, who right. ended up on my Facebook account. But largely, most of the people in my account are local. And I think the interesting thing about social media is we tend to gravitate towards family, locality, and then what other online endeavors you have going on. Like, And it usually kind of falls in that category of how many people you have on your Facebook page um, and and who who fits into one of those categories. I can definitely see a time in the next 15 to 20 years where people are more interested in going out to a bar and hearing live music and they don't even care what that live music is, where then it becomes a situation where maybe there is some new music in your area and there's like two originals bands that dominate like it used to be years and years ago where you know if you went to the local festival like you were going to see this originals band that was really big in the midwest but didn't have a following anywhere else like that we just were not people were not interested in it um i also see the converse of that which is that artists are now finding a market for themselves regardless of where their their geographic location is so like there are many metal artists here in the States who are selling their music in Europe and they're doing much better in Europe and or Japan than they are here in the United States. Well, and that's been a recurring theme. I mean, like right. that's, but does that mean that that's the only way to make money doing it? I think right now, yes. But I think at the end of the day with, if Spotify were to do the exclusivity thing and to lock people out of, like your favorite artists, you have to have all these different streaming services along with all the television streaming services you already have and oh. the movie streaming services you already have. Tack. My streaming bill, I was I was complaining about my cable bill five years ago. My oh. streaming bill is almost as much as my cable bill used to be. Easily. It's like, hey, at, at some point you got to kind of back up and you got to go, wait a minute. This is worse. You've actually made it worse. The only difference is I can watch my content when I want to. Or I can listen well, to my content when I want to. The other beauty of it is you can you can you can uh, binge watch the show and then shut it off until it starts up again. So like CBS, only, CBS only, All Access for a month, uh, shut it off. 
<laughs> only if you don't want to watch it when it comes on, when the show starts. Because right. CBS All Access, Disney Plus, some of their services got wise to that behavior. And they're like, uh-oh, we got to release these one at a time over a two-month period to get our subscriber to get our subscriber oh, yeah, the, numbers up. Yeah, the only one that actually did the whole binge thing was Netflix. They did yeah, like Orange because, is the Black and all those other Because things. Netflix is never – like they'll be fine with that. They're, they have so much content in the pipe, they can release a new exclusive show that people want to watch every month for a year. Right. And we'll see how long that happens. Yeah. Um, well, their content is quickly going down the drain. I have seen some stuff on you or on Netflix in the last year that I was like, why am I paying for this? <laughs> I know. I I pay from Netflix every month. And <laughs> if I didn't have a wife, two kids. <laughs> All right. So let's let's look at let's look at. Uh, Three kids. You're like Benny in Total Recall. You're like, <laughs> and a son I got so. five kids to feed. What happened right. to the sixth one? <laughs> yeah. What happened to the sixth oh, one? Oh, you caught me. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I, what I was going to say is back in, the, back in the day, right, you had a southern Chicago scene. You had a northern Chicago scene. You'd have a you have an inner city scene. You'd have a suburban scene. I mean, just everything was was out there was was a scene, right? Um, and you could almost always take, and we can't let this genie out of the bottle, by the way. So I don't want to, I don't want to talk about all this. And go, oh, we should go back to that. And that's not what I'm saying. But all of these things came from an area. You know, the the um, northern Florida, southern Georgia thing, right? That was. That was all uh, um, the the uh, uh, the guys that were Southern rock, right? That was mm -hmm. that was Southern rock that grew out of country. And maybe some of them hit that national scene, and we heard about them, like Almond Brothers. Yeah, Almond Brothers. Um, you know the northern the northern Florida thing. I mean, two two bands you probably don't associate with each other, which were Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers right. and Leonard Skinner, right? Right. But that that they came out of the same place, and so did Glenn um, uh, from from the uh, from the Eagles. Um, oh, his his name will come across me. But the guy that played the he wrote uh, Hotel California, at least the the guitar part. And he had the dual guitar. Yes, Jay. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, Don Felder. Right. I, I, I right. wanted to call him Glenn Fry for a second, but I was Glenn Fry. Glenn Fry was California. That was a that was an amalgamation band, but he came from there. Um, and so, if you take this stuff, it was it was um, it was regional, right? And then it grew, and some of these bands got big. I mean, um, Aerosmith came out of Boston. Boston came out of Boston. The, the um, Cars came out of Boston. You had huge bands from Chicago, right? I mean, <laughs> other than just Chicago, you had a Chicago was a budding um, scene of, of blues and rock and and country and, and pop and yep. everything. I mean, Richard Marks came out of Chicago. I mean, so, I mean, everything uh, grew out of Chicago, right? There's a rich jazz scene here too. And that's, yeah. now, so the interesting thing is, and I, and I, this is what I wanted to link it back to. So you, you're absolutely right. There's these like regional, it's a regional culture thing. Yeah. And I feel like the last 20 years to 30 years of music and also art, and film and all that stuff have become a nationalized thing. Whereas like the whole nation is supposed to get behind the same 
culture per se. Like Chicago's culture isn't necessarily different than New York's culture in in interesting ways, right? I mean, you can get a Chicago style hot dog in New York or somewhere, pizza. And, right? <laughs> right. And I just said that with the Chicago accent, like really bad, but yeah. Um, but that's my point. Like now that now that like we have established that these things exist, suddenly now it's it's countrywide culture, right? Right. Um, and, and so that's what I was getting at. So what we've done is. We've taken the peanut butter and we've we've it was it was good um, crunchy skippy it, yeah right? it was it was crunchy peanut butter and now right. it's homogenized now it's, peanut butter it's getting and it's even getting smoother as we bring in and I'm not saying there's that there's a lot wrong with it but we we start making it international right but what has happened is we've homogenized it so much that really the the it's, cultural it's not yeah. even unique anymore. Right. There's no uniqueness. But you know, here's what I want to I wanted to get to though. Every time um art in general got so homogenized, something grassroots blew it up. I mean, I can I can talk about rock and roll in the 50s. I could talk about the um the onset of uh uh, crude, um, <laughs> more, more, much more crude rock in the '60s, and then of course the 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 advent that 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 came up in the '70s when people were discoing out, and people, and then some people said, "Oh, disco sucks," and they went to Leonard Skinner. Um, and of course, in the '80s, we had that homogenization again. That you know, everybody wanted to sound like the Cars, but none of them did. And so they they started being this these bands of of bland stuff like everybody else. And then what happened? I mean, we had punk, and then we had um, more punk, and then of course in the '90s we had um, you know Nirvana. What it was if, all it was all profitability. As as soon as like something becomes profitable, somebody tries to make more money off of it. And what's ultimately happened is that it has happened at the expense of the creators. Right. We are for the first time in our history, I think, looking back at the creators and going, hey, guys, you know, <laughs> like, we'd rather just go to you directly because we're getting tired of this, like, them deciding what we want kind of thing. Right. Um, and I, I don't see it in music quite yet, but we're almost there. Like, we're about to make the flip because music, for whatever reason, tends to run a little cycle behind everything else mm -hmm. except for digital distribution. <laughs> Right, like the film industry obviously is being dragged kicking and screaming into digital yeah. books. I can't imagine. Like we already talk about how dead the newspapers are. Right. Like that's how you can already see the print publication is just collapsed. Right. right. Um. I. I. Every Barnes and Noble in my area that I've driven past in the last week is closed. Yeah, and I've driven past more than one. So there's several that are closed, and it's just because there's books aren't being sold anymore. Ow. It's just not a thing. Like you, you want to buy a book, you go on Amazon, you get it on your right. Kindle, or you have it delivered to you. Yeah. Um, and we're we're seeing it in my industry. I, I work for a professional services organization, and what we're seeing is that we're competing with Google. Yeah, for sure. And everything we provide, you can Google and find. So how do we differentiate ourselves from that? Because we're not going to beat Google. Like we sort of know that um, either right. we have to do things that Google can't, or you know, or we're going to drown. Or do them in um, ways Google couldn't possibly do it. Right. It or comes gonna... back to that. I think that I think that that people um, this this has brought things to a head 
And as much as there are a lot of people who, oh, thank God, I don't have to deal with other people and so on and so forth, there are people that miss human contact and human interaction, and they want that so badly that it's going to be something that comes. And I and I hope, as I said earlier in this thing, that that, that brings people together. That that this, brings... Is the, this is what I'm what I'm getting at. You're absolutely right. I think when this is all over, September, October, November, December, whenever it ends up being for the major cities, yep. I think people are going to be itching to go out and travel and do things, yep. and they're suddenly going to rediscover the world that is immediately around them. Yep. Because I've let's face it, if you're sitting at home right now and you're on the internet, I'm willing to bet you're pretty bored. Yeah. I have a I have a boredom short story to share just before we end the episode because we're going to be way out under an hour and thirty. Um. I have a boring story. So like last week or the week before, my wife and I were so bored that we watched like two straight days of people cleaning carpets on YouTube. That's how yep. bored we actually are. Cleaning carpets on YouTube. That is our that is our daily intake of stimulus. <laughs> I think I think there's another thing that people are gonna start appreciating too. And that's hard work. Um, and I and I want to I want to end this episode by saying this, and maybe um, little thought provoking thing, you know, do a little. I've learned something today, um, South Park wise. So we talk about this this um, buttering of of art, right? This this just creamy homogenization of everything. Right? I'm hoping that people finally take it to heart when you have said this, I've said this, so many, so many people in the podcast industry and the guitar world have said it. I, I can't think of a single guitar podcast that hasn't said something like this, yet I actually saw one that, and I wish I had remembered the one I saw today because I really wanted to slap them in the face for saying it. <laughs> you don't need to be like everybody else. You need to be yourself. and musically you've got to start looking for that you've got to start finding your tone you've got to start finding your sound you got to start finding your thing and you're not going to do that by chasing your friend's gear find a gear you think will work well with you find the gear that works well with your your set of stuff um your system it's all a system starts with you goes to the guitar goes to the cables goes to the pedals gets into the amp comes out the speakers mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. let's find, make that happen find a gear Find your inspiration. Yeah. Find your style. I can't tell you how many people can't figure out what genre they are. Um, if you're so, this is the this is the like the thing that always boggles my mind when I talk to people and I'm like, what genre do you play? You know, like what genre is your band? Usually not what genre you play because most people play more than one genre, right? Um, but they're like, they're like, we don't have a genre. We def we defy genres. It's like get bent. Yeah. <laughs> like seriously you don't have a i don't have a genre let me tell you something right now you have a genre shut up <laughs> like you're you're totally you're totally like trying to be self-important don't be afraid to say hey we're we kind of fit in this niche yep but we also borrow from this other thing but don't right. be like i don't have a genre because yeah. it just makes you sound ridiculous because you're full of crap <laughs> everyone has a genre i mean that's just part of it like that's that's part of the whole thing but that doesn't mean your genre has to be immediately obvious either and i, I know like, there was a there's a show listener that i talked to and i and i said their genre was kind of like folky like country stuff and they're like 
well, no, I, you know, and then I said Americana. And they're like, yeah, I would fit more in that motif. And yeah. it's like, yeah, you can get somebody's genre wrong, sure, and that sucks. Um, it makes you feel really stupid when you say that. But, yeah. um, but yeah, no, so don't be afraid to homogenize yourself a little bit. You know, like say, you know, Why? hey, I kind of, I kind of want to cast my lot over here with these people, um, but it doesn't mean you have to fit in the neat. Like you can be, you can be a a, a circle peg in an octagonal hole. <laughs> like, right, right. You know what I mean? Right, um, exactly. You uh, may so, not fill fill all the little jagged edges, but you get through. And and to um, you know, we talked about the butter, the butter, um, the butter image, like the idea yep. of peanut butter and crunchy peanut butter. Uh, there was a critical theorist by the name of Homi Baba, and I read much of his work when I was in college. And one of the things that he discussed, I had a, I had a college professor. This is my literally is my final thought because I'm about to end the show. He said that culture is used to be chunks in like a bowl of soup, chunks yep. of food in a bowl of soup and he said as you know we've accepted more and more cultures it's getting more and more congested and it's turning into a stew it's becoming thicker and i still think there's culture out there but i think you have to seek it out and i think it i think we need to add some water to the pot because we don't want a stew we, we definitely want a soup soups are better so uh with that i have been david i've been jim and tonight we've been the Practical Guitarists.